Yo, Albert Tate Podcast. Y'all in here. What's up? Thank you so much for tuning in. I love y'all so much. You, um, oh, y'all give me such such encouragement, and I appreciate the notes you've been sending me, uh, enjoying the seasons. We're uh, beginning season three, and I'm beginning season three with some special editions. So as you share, as you subscribe, I really appreciate it. This is a special edition where I'm interviewing one of the best preachers in the country. This guy is just a beast. His name is Chris Brown, not to be confused with the singer, uh, but a preacher from North Coast Church down in San Diego, California. This guy is a master storyteller. He's a master storyteller. So I had a conversation with him about the art of communication. Um, I'm launching the Preaching Masterclass. So a part of my passion is equipping storytellers to tell the greatest story that has ever been told, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm fascinated with the art, the craft, the creativity, the artistry of preaching and communication. So him him being one of the best, I said, let's have a conversation about it. We sit down, we have a conversation. By the way, he's hysterical, he's funny, and he's passionate. You don't want to miss it. Special edition episode on communication with my man, Chris Brown. Check it out. Are we good? Are we good? Are we good? All right. What's camera A, what's camera B, even though we're just carrying on a conversation? And I'm camera B? Okay. Yeah. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Chris Brown. Albert Tate. In the building. Both of us. Oh, boy. This is going to be a lot of talking. Take two. <laughs> no, no, no. We ain't got to take two. Let's keep running. Bro, <laughs> how you doing? I'm good. You good? Okay, so no joke. I got a 12-year-old son for those. I, you got like, like at least three, four people watching, listening. Um, for uh, them to know. Three, four. I'm up to seven now. Seven. Because your crew is not watching. I got a 12-year-old <laughs> son who found out I'm coming to this conference. No joke. And he's all, Dad, Albert Tate, Andrew McCourt, Ray Johnston, my three favorite pastors of all time. Dad, in that order. I'm number wow. four now. In my wow. own son's life, I'm number four. Just in pastor. pastoring, though. Just in pastoring. But you're still number one dad. I'm not sure I don't want him to rank those. Bro. You may beat me on that one, too, because he saw the pool. <laughs> he only saw... Well, we, we, we're not going to go there. We're not going to go there. Cut. Take three. The bear is the man. Yo. I love my boy. But he loves you. Oh, he's They're great. They're good. You know, I got a 16-year-old daughter. She just got her driver's license, so... Um, she's now legally driving on her own, so you got to watch your little girl pull out of the driveway. Car. I saw it on Instagram. Did What's not up? get her a car. She's did. driving mom's minivan. Okay, well, never mind. So well, somebody didn't. else's kid that got well, a car. Somebody else's. My kid ain't But now I've just gave her that. I just gave her that idea. <laughs> no, she came to me as soon as she got that <laughs> license. She's all, Dad, what about a car? I go, how much money do you got? She goes, $180. And I go, you come back and tell me what you bought with $180. And that was the last of our conversation. That was like four weeks ago. We've never had another one. You're a terrible father. I told her, whatever you save, I will match. Oh, okay. Well, that's technically 360. (laughs) Any of it out there, I got a great car. You're looking to get rid of ministry for $360. And the answer is yes, but it probably won't go well. (laughs) Right, right, right. My seven people watching. So the girls in Bear are doing good. Girls, 16-year-old, a 15-year-old girl, and then a 12-year-old boy. They're doing great. My wife loving it. We're down in San Diego area. Oh, yeah. Communication. Um is what we're talking about. Good. When was the first time you saw someone communicate or you saw just oratory and you thought, wow, and it, and it marked you, it changed you? Man, that's a good question. You went right there, right off the start. Right there, off the the small talk's that's over. That's what I do. Let's get Chris weeping. These seven people have high expectations. Mm. 
I'll tell you the first one I remember that rocked me. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was in my 20s. I grew up with very bad communication in our, my life as far as pastors. Forced to go to church in the South, in Texas. I'm not saying what denomination or what. Yeah. But just guys who got up and just pounded on the wood and preached hell at you constantly. Huh. So that was drilled into me most of my life. I was taking a road trip from uh, Azusa Pacific University where I was a student back to Texas. This is my mom and dad for spring break, driving a little Baja bug. Somebody had given me uh, cassettes for probably your seven people are probably younger. Cassettes right. used to be a little plastic thing right. that you would play <laughs> stuff on. And it was a four-tape cassette of a guy named Garrison Keeler. Huh. He was a storyteller of a fictional place called Lake Wobegon up in Minnesota, I think it was. And old school would be on the radio and stuff and would just tell fictional stories. And he's telling stories. People knew I was a storyteller, and I'm just, I'm captivated by him. He gets into, it was uh, summer, fall, winter, and spring, you know, a season for each cassette. He gets into winter, and before I know it, he pulls me into the Christmas story. Before I know it, I'm at the manger scene. Mm. And for the first time in my life, it hit me. Maybe God's story can be told exciting enough where you didn't have to put your own around it. And that was the first time the light bulb went on for me. I heard anybody, and he's not even a preacher, just mm. a storyteller. But that was the first time the light bulb went on for me going, what if I just told his stories, wow. God's stories? Because um, at that time, I'd been a youth pastor for about five years. I was doing my stories. I raised an entire youth group of Chris followers. Forgot there was supposed to be a T at the end of that name. Mm. And... Um, and it wasn't going good. They just knew my stories. I mean, I grew up in West Texas with crazy idiot brothers, and I had dirt bike stories, shotgun stories, rattlesnake stories, you name it. And the kids would always remember my stories and not a lick of the Bible. Mm. And that tape sent everything in my life. From that moment on, there was a BC and an AD. Wow. When did you hear communication and say to yourself, I want to do that? You know, I... I I never grew up thinking I want to be that or I want to do that. Right. In fact, because of my negative experience with church, I never ever wanted to go to church and I didn't want to be at a church. And Lord knows I would never work at a church. It was people in my life telling me, you should do this. Man, you should do this. What did they see? What, was, what, were, you, what were you doing to display that? Um, I was kind of an idiot, reckless, early in 20s, doing my own thing. Yeah. God got a hold of my life, started to crumble me. An older brother was amazing, telling me about a Christ outside of Christianity because mm. he knew I hated Christianity. And he's like, we'll work on that later. But an older brother that pretty much told me, hey, God didn't like the church we grew up in either, which blew me away. Because mm. I'm like, man, that's his house. That's his people. And my older brother's like, no, God hated the church we grew up. And uh, I never separated God and the bad religion I had growing up. Really bad religion. Mm. Um, and so my brother had me come into a church he was going to. A youth pastor wanted me to work with some students because they didn't have a college ministry. That was my age group. I started working with the high schoolers, just helping out camps and retreats. And that's where people kept going, oh, my gosh, these guys love you. Oh, you're so good with teenagers. Man, the teenagers. I was only four years older. Now, when you were hanging out with him then, were you telling stories then, or were you just kind of just being a youth pastor? Yeah, but it wasn't like for, hey, Bible time. It's no, like, no. hey, you know, message is over. Let's all go with Chris. Chris is going to tell some crazy stories so about you, Tijuana. So you were the guy that's just in the corner, just holding court, just telling stories. Yeah. Uh, were they jokes? 
stories, just all you yep. just hold yep. in court. At that time, I'm driving heavy equipment. I'm running bulldozers and tractors, doing fire breaks, grading parcels and land. So I had all kinds of cool stories about that. And I would just tell stories. Now, that mm. part of me has always been there. Yeah. I'd been a storyteller my whole life. I got into trouble and out of trouble with my mouth constantly. Wow. And I never knew it was a spiritual gift. Now, for those of you that are watching or, watching or listening, and if you never heard Chris Brown preach before, which, you know, let's face it, you most of them have not. Uh, <laughs> You are, a, Chris will start a sermon with some story that you feel like is in a movie scene or coming out of somewhere, and then all of a sudden he'll bring it, and what he's been doing the whole time is telling a Bible story, and then he invites you to open up your uh, TV screens and turn to the book of Luke or something like that. Like, he will captivate. Do you do every sermon like that, Chris, or is it just kind of, oh, I'm feeling it today, I'm not, how do you do that? <laughs> no, I'd about 90% of my messages are all narrative, biblical start narrative, yeah. Really, now where did you get that from? Where did you pick that up from? That came from that car ride, that Garrison Keeler thing, saying, wow, I've been doing youth ministry this whole time. I was 23 years old when I went back to college to learn some yeah. theology, so I wasn't a young college student. Um, and, uh, and I'd been doing youth ministry before I went to college, and that hit me, what if I tell his stories? Because I knew there was something wrong with the way I was doing it. Hmm. Everyone remembered my stories. And that's the, I mean, you. I mean, you're one of the greatest communicators in America today, and I'm saying that because I'm on your show. And, uh, you're right. and you know <laughs> when you speak and you know some of your illustrations, some of your stuff, people remember that forever. Yeah. And kids were coming up going, I remember about the shark story with you and your brother. I remember about the cop car. I remember. And no one was talking about Scripture. Mm. No one was talking about Jesus. They were all talking about Chris. Mm. And so I knew I was doing something wrong, but I thought God had my personality and my gift in front of high schoolers to make his boring Bible palatable, you know, to 16-year-olds. I would never say that out loud, but my ministry showed that. was that. how, yeah. And so that tape, that Garrison Keeler, caused me on that road trip to go, how can I tell his stories as good as mine? And that's what led me um, to start crawling into the text, instead of reading it, to go into the text, to live it, to walk it, and to come out of it, and then tell it, because I've been there. Now, practically tell me what does that look like as you prepare, as as communicators are listening or people that just appreciate good sermons, when you say crawl into the text, yeah, literally. How, do, how do you do that? So I always tell, when I teach this in, in storytelling or communication, I say, hey, what kind of stories can you tell the best? And everyone goes, your own. Why? Because you were there, you lived it. I go, that's why you can't tell Bible stories as good as your own, because you haven't lived it. So what do you need to do to a Bible story to tell it as well as your own? Well, you gotta live it. Hmm. So how do you do it? And that's where, you take the scripture in whatever passage and I read it and I read it and then I actually enter the scene. I pull up a rock, a boulder, I stand on the cobblestone. I stand in the corner of this small rock house where James and John and Peter have been invited in, but they don't even dare speak. I watch a mom leave the bedside of a 12-year-old girl that had died sometime before. For the first time, mom's been sitting there for days and for the first time she stands up and her husband comes home with Jesus too late. And she buries her head in his chest. I watched Jesus then slip beside that embrace and touch that little girl, Talitha Kaume. And you watch breath come back into her body. You watch her eyelids blink and she sits up and mom and dad are filled with, and we don't have a word for it. And when I'm in that room, I realize I don't have a word for what mom and dad, is it horror? Is it shock? Is it astonishment? Is it joy? Is it all the above? 
And the only way I got there was by crawling into the opposite corner and just watch the scene. Then I'll move outside. I'll watch Jesus enter the house and what he told the crowd outside. And I'll wait until he comes out and say what it's talking. And so I'm constantly just moving in the scene, reading the text. Because we forget. He got y'all, didn't he? He got y'all. Yeah, he got y'all in the room. Y'all in there with the girl. You got us, Chris. Chris, you got us. We forget the Bible isn't literature. Yeah. We've made it literature. Yeah. It is real people in real time, in real place. Yeah. And the lens of scripture is screaming. Here's the emotions. Here's the setting. Here's the scene. Here's the time. Here's the people. Here's the remarks. And I just move around in the scene and in the scene. And I'm constantly staying true to the text. And you start watching it from all these different angles. And then inevitably, I'm going to walk out and go, wow, I've never seen this before. Or at least I found the beginning of my story. Mm. And I bring people into it. And that's one of the hardest things as a communicator. I just felt like the first part of your message, you're searching for what's my opening illustration, how do I get their attention, and you're constantly looking for new illustrations, new attention yeah. givers. And I was tired of doing that, man. Mm. And I just thought, what if I use the text we're teaching as the opening illustration that brings you in? And if you've been a f Christian for 40 years, you're like, man, I've never seen that before. Peaked, yeah. Or you've been, this is your fourth time in church, you're just mm. like, wow. I've never seen this before. Hmm. So that's that's what I fell into, and a lot of it was Garrison Keillor, and I was a storyteller by nature. I just thought I was supposed to do my stories. I didn't realize I was supposed to do his. Wow. What are you, what are you for people that want to cultivate their storytelling abilities, what's some of the top advice that you normally give? Um, one, be willing to risk. Because, man, when you start like that and just start telling story, the room doesn't know what you're doing, and they don't know where you're going. And early on in my career, I would just pull the eject button. You've seen me. Th I start telling the story, and I realize this ain't going good. I don't think anybody knows. And I'm and like, well, guys, I'm trying to tell you a story. I'm just going to turn to it and read it. And you I got to do you, it. You got to commit. You have to commit to this thing. Because right the there. first few minutes is awkward. It's like, what's going on? What is he doing? But you it? want that awkwardness. Well, that want cognitive it. dissonance. Here's the difference. When I get up, even here, they're going to introduce you at this conference. Everyone, hey, guys, it's good to be with you, man. I love this conference. And it's just, it's just small talk. And it, during that time, people are putting their books down. People are getting their phones out. People are doing whatever. When I get up, you know, and just start the scene, you know, with the fog was drifting in and the scars still remain from the last time he had cut himself, people stop and they just look up and they start listening. Mm -hmm. And that cognitive dissonance, everyone in the room goes, you're not supposed to start this way. I just missed something because you're somewhere in the middle of a story. I don't know who, what story, what fog. And everyone immediately listens with a mm -hmm. different intent of this. As a communicator, good communicators can hold their audience's attention for a long period of time. I think a great communicator can have their audience's participation for a long period of time. I don't want to keep their attention. I want their participation. Chris, that's good. Isn't that good? You've oh, done that, dude. Some of your teaching, good. I sit there, and I forgot to take notes. Yeah. I've had to stop. Fortunately, I mean, I'm not live where you live, because we don't have to compete, because that's good. I'd be out of business. <laughs> but most of the time when I'm listening and watching you, it's on something I've downloaded. Mm. And I'm into it, and I'm just like, oh, and I have to stop, rewind, take notes. I forget to take notes Cause when you I listen Because you. you're just. You're participating. That's a great, I love that. I hadn't heard that articulated like that. I, I came up with it. Well, yeah. Well, now, wherever I go, I came, you came up, up with, with it. it. Because these seven people that are listening, they won't know. Um, <laughs> how do you handle negative feedback, Chris? So there's a simple formula I always go through. Jesus had 12, and one turned him in. <laughs> one came back and cursed him. And I figure, there's my odds. So if I ever have an audience of 12, 
One's probably going to hate me. And yeah. One's probably going to say some negative stuff about me. Yeah. We'll make it 10 because that's easier math for a yeah. guy like me. Say two <laughs> out of 10. Plus Jesus had 12. I'm going to be a little less than him. Right. So I'll say two out of 10. So you got 50 people. You go two out of 10. Okay, there's going to be 10 people that don't like this. You have 100 people. There's going to be 20 people that don't like You speak to a group of 1,000. That's 100 people that probably aren't going to like who you are and how you do it. Mm. So just going in, I'm like, oh, those are Jesus numbers. Some guy comes up, I don't like the way you said this, or I don't like the way. First thing, always, I look for an element of truth in that. Maybe I blew it, man, maybe, or maybe you heard me say something I did not mean to say. So you do enough. listen? Oh, 100%. You're not dismissing them saying, hey, you're part of the 10. Nope, we have off. communications no. card, people write, and I return every one of those every week. I write mm -hmm. back to everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you're allowed after the service to fill out what you said about it, put it in the plate, the easiest thing ever. And now I have to sit there. It takes me about two hours a week to write back to. A lot of it's questions, what did you mean by this or that? But some of them are like, I didn't like this. Then there's some people you just listen to and go, I have no clue what planet you're talking from. Mm. I didn't say that. That wasn't about. And you just always say, you know what? You're it's two out of the ten. Mm. That was his odds. I'm going to be worse than that. But you and I both know that's easy to say. Yeah. It's still the guy I'm thinking about on the way home. Yeah. Mm. And you just got to go. Um, the larger you lead, the thicker the skin your has to be. And and no one ever told me that growing up. And the larger you lead, the more low-level frustration and criticism you're going to create. Yeah. That's just purely numerical. Well, Chris, how do you, where do you put it? Because the fear is that you become so, you, you become numb to it, so you don't feel the soft nudge of the Holy Spirit when he uses yeah. criticism to be a good coach. But then... Like, I don't know about you, but I'm a people pleaser and I want people to like me mm -hmm. and I want people to appreciate me. And if you know you got that much of a rim, how do you stay encouraged through the peanut gallery? I fool myself a lot. I'm like, man, there's five people that hated that. But there were 10,000 people here today. Wow, that means 9,995. Love that. They must have gone home <laughs> high five. I tell my, I don't know if they did or not, but I tell myself, hmm, only yeah. five complaints. Everyone else thought that was the best ever. Yeah, yeah. Here's, here's what you got to watch out for as a communicator. The same math that leads you discouraged and frustrated with negative criticism is the exact same math that leaves you pride and arrogant when it went good. Yeah. It's the same math, the same equation. Yeah. What we're doing is that if it came out to a plus or a negative, that same equation, this is mine, this has something to do with my value, this is about my worth, this is a reflection on me, is going to lead to pride and arrogance when it's positive, and it's going to lead to bitterness or frustration, negativity, yeah. or, or depression yeah. when it's negative. And you've got to look and go, did I do what I was called to do? Mm. Did I prep as much as I could for this week? Mm. Not can I do I had some homiletic professors and people tell me, oh, for every minute of sermon time, you need an hour of study, or what? and I was like, this is ridiculous. And people telling me, oh, is that really as much prep as you could have? Well, the answer is always no. Right. I could have prepped more. I could have read something else. Could you have prayed more about that message? Well, yeah. The answer is always yeah. yeah. That's not the question. The question is, given your week and your schedule and your family and your commitments, was that the best you could have done? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I put four hours into it. And this week, all I had was four hours. Yeah. That would have been much better at 10 hours or 12 hours, but I didn't have it this week. Yeah. There are some weeks you can put 15 hours into a message and go, all right, I could have done more, but this week I was able to put 15 hours in that yeah. message. And so you've got to look at with what you've been given and what's on your plate and your faithfulness and responsibility. Is that the best you could have done? And i walk, got to walk away and go, yeah. And God's consistent faithfulness in that and how he just always uses it for his glory. Yeah. And it's not a, it doesn't give us an excuse to be lazy, but it gives us 
an excuse to be dependent upon the grace of God and his faithfulness and to recognize, bro, even when you study 20 hours, it still wasn't about you. No. It was still the <coughs> grace of God. And when it is great and awesome and everyone was high-fiving and you know, okay, I got a hold of that one. Yeah. Man, yeah. I was trying to hit that into maybe a single, but that thing just took off just like took a rocket. Off. Yeah. That was out of the park today. Yeah. I constantly drive home reminding myself, a donkey can do your job. <laughs> God's talked through a donkey. He did really good. In fact, a talking donkey, I guarantee you, would have a larger church than you and I. <laughs> People would be driving hours to hear the talking donkey. And so anytime I get to a place where it was really good too, I just remind myself, mm. don't be that jackass. Yeah. Any yeah. jackass can do this job. Yeah. God used one to talk. He spoke. Look what happened. That's good. Don't be that. You ever been preaching and you hit the ball and you see the Spirit of God take that thing and it's like, whoa, that's way better than what I thought in my head. And see God just do something so beyond you in a room and how do you interact with that? Have you ever been like, whoa, okay, God, I don't know if I get, like, like, like ex allowing the spirit just to do something beyond just your control and what does I that look like? That. I yeah. live for that. For me, it's when I've become an active listener to the message. Yes. There's moments where it's a whole new vein of thought. It's a whole new understanding, something out there in truth, and I haven't prepped it, I've never thought of it, yes. I've never heard it before, but that tangent is going. And I'm standing by, because I know whenever you're done, I need to pick back you up you got to be able going. to catch it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in that moment, I never call attention. I never know, oh yes, that was from the Lord, oh yeah. that's for somebody. That is from the Lord, and that somebody knows it's from the Lord. Don't yeah. call attention to yourself. Yeah. But in that moment, I am an active listener. I'm not sure where it's going, but I know somebody in this moment, whether in this audience or on a podcast or later on in an archive, somebody somewhere in this moment just got hit with exactly what they needed for whatever. That's good. Those are the moments where you just feel like, as a communicator, you're standing under a waterfall of the Spirit, and your job is just to stand there and let it hit and just deflect into yeah. them. And you just you don't want to move from that spot. Oh, that's the best feeling in the world. It don't happen for yeah. the entire message, unfortunately. Yeah. I haven't been able to dial that in. Yeah. But on those moments, I'm just like, okay. Yeah. And in those moments, you feel that affirmation of saying, hey, bad boy, in I spite of who you are and yeah. what you've done, yeah. you're still with me. I still you. I still love you, yeah. and you're still in the game. That's good. And I just, I live for those moments. Going, oh, that's Thanks, so Dad. Good. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. What does your preparation look like throughout the week? An ideal week, because I know yeah. you said that there are weeks that, that hit and don't. An ideal week, in the technical, like technically, because I think we do have communicators that are listening and watching that want to hear a little bit up under the hood of technique and development. Yeah. How do you how do you get down? Well, I tell you, there's anytime I talk about communication, I say, hey, I'm going to give you a bunch of tools. They're not rules. I'm just going to give you tools. I'm just going to be tools. If you like that and go, hey, that's good for me, use it. Otherwise, just ignore it and move on. Um, this is as close to a rule as I would ever make. I still think it's a tool, but I do a sermon prep team. And I will never speak anywhere again without one. Hmm. And I don't care how great of a communicator you are. A team will always make you better. Now listen, these aren't guys that are writing the message with me. Right. These aren't guys collaborating. Because when you collaborate, everyone thinks they should have a piece of this. This is my uh, Google research, but I'm using live people. This yeah. is staff Google. And so at Tuesday mornings from 9 to 10, whoever's teaching that weekend um, and whoever wants to show up to this one room just shows up to the room. We average anywhere from 16 to 25 maybe people in there. And you can be a lay leader, you can be paid staff, we have facility guys, we have junior high interns show up in there. And I will have read the text a few times. We're only a week of, you know, I'm, I don't plan stuff out more than that. 
and so I just come up with ideas. What, you, what you're writing Tuesday is what you're preaching Sunday. Yep. It's in for six months from now. Yeah. And I just come in. We do a lot of book studies, so I okay. know, hey, you know, where did Larry or where did Chris Hilkin leave off? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to take this passage. I've read it a couple times before Tuesday. So I read it out loud with them. Guys, here's where I think I'm going. Here's what I think I'm doing with this. And I may only talk for about eight to ten minutes on where I think I'm going, what I think I'm doing, and where I think I'm going with the text. Mm -hmm. And then everyone just turns on me in a good way. Yeah. Well, what about this? Are you saying this? Man, I've never heard this before. Or what about, and man, I'm just scribbling down stuff. I'm listening. As an extrovert, just hearing myself say it and hearing people respond takes me light years down the field. Yeah. In there, I get guys go, giving me a C.S. Lewis quote. I got guys, you know, my junior high intern. Oh, it's like that illustration with the monkey, you know, the blindfolded monkey on that unicycle. And I'm like, oh, yeah. What the heck's that illustration with the blindfolded monkey? And he tells me the story, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's perfect. I'm going to use that. Someone else says, oh, man, it reminds me of, you know, Abraham when he was called. And I was like, oh, that's a great point. That's a great text. Mm -hmm. And um, other people go, wow, that's so interesting because I never knew Jesus and Satan were brothers, and that's new. And I'm like, wait a second. Is that what you heard? Because if that's what you heard, I need to make this clear. You get your dumb tax ahead of time. Have you ever done a message and someone comes up and they give you a piece of advice and you're like, man, I wish I had that before. Right, yeah. That happens in that group. Or someone comes up and goes, did you really mean to say this? And I'm like, oh, is that the way it came out? That happens in that group. Yeah. Guys say, oh, you must have read the USA Today on Sunday. And I'm like, no. The USA Today had a whole article on politics and spirituality. I'm like, can you give me that article? So now I'm going to teach this weekend. I got my story. I got my stuff. I got a C.S. Lewis quote. Makes me look like I'm well-read. I got a oh, USA yeah. Today article. Makes me look like I'm up on current in time. Oh, yeah. I got an illustration about a blindfolded monkey on a unicycle. <laughs> and it's just taken my game and it's raised it. And yeah. even when I go and I speak somewhere else, I'll walk around the office, see who's available for a sermon prep. Even if it's a story I've done a hundred times somewhere yeah. else, I'll still grab them and go, hey guys, here's a favorite story. I'm going to do it up in Michigan this week, mm -hmm. but here's what I'm thinking of doing. What do you guys think? 16, 20 people in a room isn't overwhelming or too much? Not even. It's because we moved our time. It's 16, 20, 25. It used to be 25 to 35. We had to readjust all of our staff. So earlier we've lost some people. No, because it's not collaboration. No one in there thinks that they own the message. They know it's, it's just yours. Just round robin. Just everybody just, just throw just stuff talk, in just the pot. And you just take it, you just, just caption it. Eight to ten of those people will never speak. They're introverts. But you know what? Within 24 hours, I get an email from a couple of them going, mm. hey, I've been thinking, what about this? That's or it reminded good. me of my favorite quote. And I'm like, that stuff's brilliant. That's good. And simply as a communicator, as an extrovert, I get it out ahead of time. I'm talking myself into it for the first time. Yeah. And, uh, and I walk in there going, I don't know what I'm going to teach this weekend. I always leave that hour going, I wish I could teach this right now. Mm. Um, for some reason, we've made teaching uh, a solo sport. Mm -hmm. Someone's sole proprietor of teaching in our church. I own this. This is my gift, my thing. And I'm like, man, I think if you open it up, you'll be better at it. Yeah, that's good. How old are you now, Chris? I'm 48. What would you say? Caught me on it. I almost started with a three. I'm like, I'm th uh, 30 something. Well, that lion problem you got came back. I know. What would, what would you say to your 30-year-old self as a preacher? Hang in there. You're not as good as you think you are. Hmm. Hang in there. You're not as bad as you think you are at times either. Hmm. Keep using the gift. I don't feel like I found my stride until I was around 35, 37, and been teaching since I was 19. 
you know, they started me in 1920 in that church, waited till I was 23 after, again, three, four years of youth ministry before I went to college. So you didn't think you found, you don't think you found your stride till you were 35, 37? Mm. I knew my gift, I knew my niche, but what, I didn't what, find my stride. What clicked? You can't substitute time and experience. You yeah. just can't. And knowing who you are and knowing how the spirit works with who you are and knowing what you can trust and what you can't, how to read an audience. You know that. Uh, you, how you big of a deal? Of people don't talk about reading audiences. Well, and some people don't. Like Larry Osborne, I work with one of the smartest guys ever, um, Larry Osborne. He doesn't read an audience. He trusts where he is internally in his notes. He's much more of an internal in that way. I read an audience constantly. But his, Larry's, maybe, how do, why does that work for Larry? Because his content is so strong. I think his personality just, types too, though. Introvert, yeah. extrovert personality types are going to trust. Some of you are going to trust your gut and what you know and your prep and where it's going regardless. I, think, I don't trust that at all. I trust I, the room. I think reading an audience is significant. but And no one talks about no it. No one talks about reading an audience. What, when you tell young guys and young girls about reading audiences, what's the top? What, what are you telling them? Give, a real quick snapshot. Um, I want movement with no movement. Let me enlighten you, grasshopper. Because I don't know what that <laughs> meant. I was like, I don't know what just happened, but I'm gonna look like, I'm gonna look like it was deep. Here, here's what I, look I, like I was. Wondering. That's the first time I ever said that. Guys just came out that <laughs> way. And I'm like, oh, I kind of like it. Whoa, though. okay. Um, I want people on you, fixed, but you don't want that forever. That's stillness. I want right. them taking notes, so I want people on me, and on certain points and things. Man, I want heads in the room going yeah, down and writing. Yeah, that was yeah. good. And then they're back on. Yeah. So I'm constantly looking for that. Eye contact, are they with me? If they're down, it's only because they're notes, and they're right back up. Yeah, yeah. You don't want the movement in the room where people are squirrely, where people no. are getting up and leaving, where yeah. people are just shifting, where you don't have the eyes. Because yeah. I'm reading all that, too. And you know when you have them, and you know when you don't. And I even know, yeah. if I'm reading, when I can move on from a point because they've digested it. Mm, my note sheet is that way. And then sometimes it's like, nope. I need to stay here longer. Yep. So I may have, I may stay on my first point 30 minutes and then just do the last two in five minutes because of this one, it enlightened everything else. 100%. So you gotta and be you able to- you didn't know it until you got there. You, you can't. No. Nope. I can't know it until nope. I get there. No. Nope. So that's a part of the, it's a part of the tension that I thought I would have figured out by now, but it's just the reality. So you don't manuscript messages then? No. Nope. Neither do I. No. See a manuscript, the spirit works through someone who manuscripts, writing out your messages word for word. The spirit works with them in the prep time Tuesday and Thursday in the office, yeah. which is great. Why can't the spirit work through us in this prep time Tuesday, Thursday? Because we ain't that organized and disciplined. <laughs> and the spirit knows that. What we do is my note sheet are springboards. They're boulders. What I do when I teach this at Bethel Seminary, I, I draw on the whiteboard. I draw a Bible. I draw a big river with currents. And then I draw a bunch of people. And a manuscript is where you've laid out the bridge. You know every slat, every nail. It's got supports. It's got handrails all the way across it. Yeah. And you, when you go to do your message, there's no faith. I mean, you're like, I'm on this. I'm walking. The faith was in the prep. The yeah. spirit was in the prep. Mine, I've got five boulders in the string. And I don't know how long I'm staying on each boulder. And there may be, I may jump to this one and come back to this one and then this one, but I think they're in this order. But I jump on a point and I know, man, this is solid. But when I get out in front of a crowd, it's one of those boulders that's teetering and I'm like, I'm getting off this. And then I jump on a little rock that's just a small point, but you feel the room. And I'm like, oh, this hit home. This is the I'm rock camping that's holding it all together. Yeah. Um, and that's, oh, and I've Chris, learned to trust the spirit it. and the reading of the audience in the moment, not my note taking. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's exactly how I preach. I preach the same way. And because you'll get on that second boulder and look up and you'll see something 
that you has you have never seen yeah. in your preparation, but it's exactly where to go. And it's like, whoa. And then when you jump on it, the whole room is like, whoa. But you kind of experience it. Now, when the second service comes along, I kind of know where it is yeah. now. So the yeah. second service, but that first time you preach it out loud yeah. is the process. All right. I take more, we have a Saturday night service and three Sunday that are live. I take notes on me after Saturday night. Exactly. After Saturday night, I go to my office and I take notes because I'm like, I got to capture that. You re- because now you've seen that. it. I, mm-hmm. I tell people, I'm not done writing this sermon until I've preached it all the way through one time. And you can't and do that in your it. office walking around because I don't know the effect. It's I don't know the, the cadence. And the interaction because you don't have a room to read. Yeah. Well, and in my, in my office, it's an eight-minute message. Then yeah. I get in front of the audience. They're like, it's that went 82 minutes. A little bit longer than I thought it was we have something at fellowship called question of the day oh oh. Um, would you rather <laughs> no 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 okay. not that. No, 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 no 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 monkeys and being blindfolded <laughs> no, 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 no. um so i want to have i want to close the section of the podcast with questions of the day got it so i'm just going to hit off questions oh, no. rapid fire just hit like me with it. oh man it's going to be great i want to get off this boulder <laughs> <laughs> if you could join any musical ensemble from any time in history which one would you be? You two. You two. I knew that was coming. Done and I done. I knew that was coming. Did you cry at the concert? You two came to Pasadena. I saw you were there. Did you cry? And, and then they opened up and came to San Diego. And even though I was supposed to be gone, I ended up not being gone. And I got to take my kids. Wow. I didn't cry. It's Joshua Tree. I mean, the biggest impact any album's ever had. The only secular soundtrack I had for my junior year in high school. So I played it. Played it. The tape broke. Cassette. My dad took the tape apart, taped it back together, spliced it so I could keep playing through. Are you That's serious? how much I love Joshua Tree. Wow. And then the experience with my kids, was and my kids dug it. I'm like, yes. Nice. I've raised them right. <laughs> what is something that everyone else loves that you think is overrated? Uh, here's something unique, and I just said it the other day in the car, and my teenage girls are blowing up. I've never used an emoji. And you send me junk all the time. <laughs> I see. It saves so much time. It does. I have never once sent an emoji. Why not? Not once. What is something that other people love and you think is just? Uh, you, it's overrated. Oh, mm, mm, ah, and I'm like, I just don't send ah, emojis, man. Say but what you, you, say. you look like a fake I emoji. I am an emoji. You are. That's an emoji. why my life is an emoji. You, you when I text, you know, I, don't, I don't need the cheap. I don't need the cheap uh, fake. No, counterfeit. you send me the best stuff. I send you the and I send you black emojis too, you do. Jack. Yeah, not on this pale stuff. Um, what other profession did you consider pursuing? Uh, marine biology. Oh, wow. Crazy, huh? Because I love the water. I love that. And I thought it was all about, oh, cool, animals like SeaWorld. Then I got into it, and it was all science. <laughs> you had and to I'm do like, science and math. He's like, I'm out. <laughs> um, thought about being a lawyer, but all I loved was the TV version. I just want to get up and argue. And argue the case. You just want the crowd. I just, me too. I, I want the jury. Give close. me the jury. Give and me the jury. Started looking at schooling of it, and they Isn't told me what goes into it, and I'm like, oh, uh-huh. So then uh, law enforcement. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, both of those. I think if there wasn't Christ, then I, I probably would have gone probably toward a law enforcement type thing. Wow. A little justice therapy, the right, and still have that power trip. Huh. Yeah, because you do have a power trip. Larry Osborne talks about that all the all time. All the time. Uh, what is something you're bummed you're still not good at, that you're still bad at? Oh, my gosh. We're going to have a list. Uh, working out, reading, yeah. playing yeah. any type of music. I'd love to be able to play the guitar. Yeah. Sports, fixing anything, anything that's manly. Anything that's womanly. I'd, I'd like to be in the good at stuff that's womanly or manly, feminine or masculine. I'm good at stuff your six-year-old's good at. Okay. Anything above that, I'm just not. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I think we've exhausted that one. Um, 
What is something you used to say that you, you used to be comfortable with saying, but you're not comfortable saying that anymore? Wow. Okay, this, now this is preachy on that. Oh, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I used to be comfortable with that line, and I hate it. it now. I despise it. People go, oh, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Why? I'm like, hey, you're a liar. You're <laughs> a saint. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're a child of God. You're mm. still calling yourself a sinner? Man, you're looking so far in the rearview mirror, you don't know who you are. Mm. I was a sinner. But now I'm a saint. Mm. Dude, I'm a saint. I'm a son of God. And this thing that it was a, kind of that cool, humbling reminder. Oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You're a bold faced liar. Yeah. Or you're not a Christian. Yeah. And people are like, Pastor doesn't like that one. <laughs> <laughs> what is something well, you plus there's a lot of things that you say in my past right, that right, I'm not right, gonna no, say. But that was a nice because yeah, that was a nice Christian. That was the church, church way. Right, the right, other right. one still cost me my job. <laughs> what is something you pray a lot about that you don't talk about? Okay, here's one. I pray a lot for a sense of humor, quick wit and timing. And I have a lot of communicators come up and go, man, I want to be funnier. I want to be more creative. And I've always asked, hey, before you speak, have you spent a lot of time praying to be funny? And they're like, well, no. And I'm like, hmm, that's probably why you're not funny, bro. Peace. Hmm. And that's kind of funny. Um, I pray. I pray before I teach God whatever, if something comes up in the room, if there's a distraction, if some, give me quick wit, a sense of timing, a sense of humor. Interesting. I, I pray for that. Interesting. Even though I was funny before I really came to Christ, now, I want to be good funny now. But I also go, hey, God gave me that humor. Why don't I pray that he uses the good humor in a good way? Interesting. And hmm. I, I find myself at times going back and trying to watch something and go, oh, my gosh, that was hilarious. I didn't come up with that. Yeah. No, I've got, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's that. something that people probably don't know. What is the, um, what is the la when, when was the last time you had to say I'm sorry? Uh, to your assistant out in the hallway for making me wait for an hour without any food or any drink. And then I gave her a real hard time, but I was just joking around. I'm like, yeah. And then I realized, oh, she doesn't know that I'm joking. So she I'm doesn't like, know that you have the gift of quit wit from, yeah, the, yeah, from I the spirit of the living God. I got to stop praying God for sarcasm. God anointed me with sarcasm, spiritual gift. lady. <laughs> and so I had to go back to God. I'm sorry. I'm just joking with you. Just joking, right? but that was, you know, this is just a gift, right? This so is it is daily. Over. I'm sorry is something I've never gotten over saying. <laughs> That's good. That's good. You know what? And I've learned to say it a lot, even when I don't think there was any wrong, and I don't think I've done anything on that, but it doesn't hurt, and it only earns points, and it lets people know, oh, I'd appreciate that. Mm. I'll apologize for stuff that's not even true, and I mean stuff, go, look, man, I'm just so sorry, mm. and I'm so sorry that that's caused you to feel this way, and what's going on, and if there's anything. Yeah. But in my mind, I'm like, geez, that didn't even happen, or I don't even yeah. know why that's, who cares? Don't argue it. Yeah. Apologize. Let someone know. Your feelings have been hurt, and move on. Because it's a sign of empathy, kindness. Yeah. And in this back of my head, there's this little voice going, you should apologize all the time for all kinds of stuff anyway, so just claim this you're one. Exactly. You're probably <laughs> wrong. You're probably, you back, you back due. You got back due payments, dude. Paying it backwards. Um, what is something that is often misunderstood about you? That's a good one. Hmm. Uh, this may be, I mean, I just, I feel like what you see is what you get 24-7 with me. There ain't a lot of misunderstanding. I mean, it's like, mm. I am who I am, and I've really been good with that. So I feel like, how'd you misunderstand? That's it. I, uh, hmm. Here's the thing. I think because I got a great gift in teaching and I do a lot of it, I think people think I love teaching more than leading. I mean, I've had places offer me jobs. We just want you to be the communicator. And I'm like, I don't want to teach. I want to lead. Mm. I'd much rather lead our staff and hang out with them than teach. Mm. As much as I love teaching and love God using that gift, I love our team. And I am just a relationship monster. I crave it. I want it. I create it. 
I live and swim in relationships. I, I want to have the healthiest church in the planet, and that's just that is a bigger priority than anything else to me, mm -hmm. ministry-wise. That's good, Chris. Hmm. Um, where is an area in your leadership where you're still growing? Wow, one. Yeah, just pick one. We don't have all day. <laughs> <laughs> um, wisdom. Gosh, is that a cop-out to say? No. I'm not the brightest guy. I've got some good relationship skills, some EQ. I'm just not the brightest guy. And there's a lot of ways to get wisdom. I'm just not as disciplined as I should be to get more of it. Yeah. So i got to force myself to listen because I'm not a good reader. So I'm watching more. I'm listening more. Yeah. Um, but wisdom. No, that's good. And it doesn't help that I've worked with some brilliant guys. So yeah. you constantly know, you ain't that smart kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, last one. Favorite cuss word. It's not a cuss word, though, is it? Well, some people would say. You this say audience it all the say. time, and it is the corniest word ever. What the frick, bro? What the frick? Cornball. This whole time, I've been building you up and edifying. And all the stuff I've had to share from our trips overseas, our times alone, our conversations one-on-one -on -one in small little rooms in Ecuador, I haven't pulled any of that out. And the one time I get vulnerable on your couch and open up with something like a swear word that could jeopardize my career, and what do you do? You just tear it up and throw it in my face. Wow, man. And that's how you end these things? You don't have people come back a second time, do you? Chris Brown. Yeah, Tanner! I love it, man. man. I do. <laughs> that's so good. That's the corniest word ever. So good. So good. Oh, that's so much stinking fun. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Albert Tate Podcast. To stay connected, make sure to subscribe to the Albert Tate channel, rate and review this episode, and make sure to share on your social media platforms. You can follow along with Albert on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Once again, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode, and we'll see you next time.